0: the Lord has laid on your heart. Let's open up our hearts as we open up God's Word. Take your Bible, turn to Psalm 46, would you? Psalm 46 in the Word of God. Psalm chapter 46. It's a blessing to be back. You thought you could get rid of me easy, but you know, it just isn't that way. I'm kind of like a bad relative who won't leave, so just hanging around and hanging around. So hopefully you'll be able to get rid of us by the end of the week. Psalm 46 is where we're at. Sometimes when the Lord gives up preacher a message. It's long before he ever expects that preacher to preach it. And sometimes it's because that preacher needs a little more living. Uh, on 9/11, 2001, we were holding meetings in, in uh, Minneapolis St. Paul area. We were in Cottage Grove and I remember coming out of my trailer. I was going to breakfast with the assistant pastor. And he pulled into the parking lot. We were parked out back of the church. And he said, we're under attack. Well, those words hadn't been uttered for decades in America. And how many of you remember where you were on 9-11? What a, what a day that was. Uh, we, we went inside and we came inside and stood and watched for just a few moments as the second plane hit that second tower. And we were in total shock. We turned it to the news. Nobody listened to the news much before then, but everybody listened to the news after that. That's when 24-hour news really became popular. We went to breakfast and we talked about this, that, and the other thing, but our minds were back on what happened in New York City. And then we find out something happened in Pennsylvania. And then we find out something happened in Washington, D.C. I remember calling a friend of ours who was a major at the time in the Pentagon and working in the Pentagon in the Air Force wing, calling them all day. Of course, the lines were jammed, and you couldn't get a cell phone call through. I remember trying to call my sister. I remember trying to call my mom. And uh, all the things that you do when you're in the midst of a crisis. I remember for two weeks, the planes were down. They wouldn't fly. At least it was a week or two. I don't remember. But we I remember standing at a gas station pumping diesel into my truck about two weeks later and saw a plane fly overhead and just tearing up. Because something like this had never happened before in our in our lifetime, in our generation. Some here, of course, remember things that were, were traumatic, but not to this extent of two to three thousand souls being taken right into eternity. And the Lord gave me this message on nine eleven. The the truth is I didn't preach it. I probably should have preached this message on 9-11. And what I preached on 9-11 was not very comforting. It was judgment, hell, fire, and damnation on 9-11. Uh, but, but just the same, I preached from lamentations, Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? But about seven and a half years later, I would preach this message. When my world had fallen apart, and I want to preach to you tonight on the subject what to do when your world falls apart. Father, speak to our hearts, draw our attention, right to the text, and Lord, help us to apply it properly. You apply it, please, to our hearts. Show us where we need it and show us how to apply it and give strength and comfort and encouragement and wisdom as a result of our time spent in your word. Lord, help us to humbly respond to your word by faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. The heathen raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord. That what desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Be still and know. That I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. Now, this psalm, written for, uh, written for the sons of Korah, written to the chief musician, this song, this psalm of, uh, of, of the, the songwriter in this passage of Scripture, is given to show what we should do when our world falls apart. There's a lot of crazy movements going on in the passage. Notice what it says in verse number 2. It says, therefore will not we fear though the earth be removed. Well, you have earth moving. You have mountains crumbling. And though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Uh, In verse 3, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled. Though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Selah. The world is falling apart in this passage of Scripture. Notice verse number six, not only is the physical world falling apart, but in verse six, it says the heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. So the heathen are raging at God he asked in the book of Psalms early in the Psalms, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? So he asked that and and it's a crazy time when the heathen are raging against God. They're doing so today. Every day that you see and every day that you live, you see on the news people raging against God and crying with those in Luke, we will not have this man, Jesus, to rule over us. The heathen are raging. So the earth is moving. You have physical movement. The the, the mountains are carried into the midst of the sea. The mountains are swelling and shaking with the swelling thereof. The, the Bible says the heathen are raging and, and the kingdoms are moved. Now, we like... Things to be stable. Uh, some of us l- like things to be stable a little bit less than others. How many of you don't like change? Let me see your hand. How many of you do like change? Yeah. How many of you like to make the change? <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, some of us like a little chaos in our life. Uh, I, I, I kind of stir things up if it, gets too, if it gets too flat-lined. I want to make sure everybody still has a pulse. And, and I, if, there's, if there's a calm sea uh, or a calm lake, I like to throw a rock right in the middle of it. Usually that's just, I, I'm being transparent with you tonight. That's probably a little bit of how God made me. But, but, but most of us don't like change. And we certainly don't like change on this magnitude. The earth swelling, the the mountains trembling, the the earth moving. We don't like that. We don't like the heathen raging. We don't like the kingdoms moving. We can't depend on anything physically. We can't depend on anything politically. And and this world is falling apart. Then he says right in the middle of it all, verse 4, There is a river. The streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. There is a river. In other words, in the midst of this craziness, you can depend upon God's sustenance. You can depend upon God's supply. There is a river. And he speaks here about the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. And of course, in verse 5, he says, God is in the midst of her. That's the city of God. He's in the midst of the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. She shall not be moved. You see, the earth may be moved, the mountains may crumble into the sea, there may be a swelling thereof, there may be great trouble, there may be great political unrest, but the city of God remains, the tabernacle of God remains. He's speaking here to the Jewish mind and to the Jewish heart. And he says, God's in the midst of her. God's not going to be moved. Now, I don't think it's any, in any way uh, an accident that, that God ordered for me to preach tonight. I don't think that's an accident. I don't think it's an accident that I didn't know what was going to be sung. But we start off singing yesterday, today, forever. Jesus is the same. We continue saying, singing, be still, my soul. The Lord is on thy side. And the special right before the message is a special relating to... The peace of God, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, roll written by Horatio Spafford, who wrote that under great duress when his world had fallen apart. For those that don't know, Horatio Spafford was a businessman, lived in Chicago, Illinois, and he had contributed great sums of money to the evangelistic efforts of Dwight L. Moody. Well, he was there and had several businesses, and there were several things that happened all at once. Number one, he had a little boy that died, a little boy, a little baby boy. Number two, the great Chicago fire, which burned most of his businesses. After the Chicago fire, he sent his wife and three daughters over to Europe where they were going to have a vacation that was long overdue and that had been put off, especially after the Chicago fire. And so his wife and three daughters got on the, uh, on the, uh, the boat and they went across. And somewhere across, almost to Europe, they collided with another ship and their ship went down. And he gets a telegram from his wife with two words on that telegram, Saved Alone. He finished up what he had to do. He got on the next train, got on the next uh, boat. And as he was coming across right where his daughters perished in the sea, the captain came and said, this is where they perished. And it was there that God gave him a peace that passes all understanding. And he wrote the words to it is well with my soul. And he wrote those words when his world had fallen apart. Now, I don't know if your world has fallen apart. But I will tell you, there will be a time in your life when it does. If it hasn't, at some point, it will. And it may more than once There will be times when the earth will roar and the heathen will rage. When the heathen will rage, when the mountains will be removed with the swelling thereof. There will be times when the earth will be removed and the mountains will be carried into the midst of the sea. There will be times when the heathen rage and the kingdoms will be moved. There will be times when the Lord utters His voice and the earth will melt. Verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Now there are three times when he references the refuge of Almighty God. Verse 1, verse number 7, and verse number 11. The God of Jacob is our refuge. We have a refuge in which we can hide. We're unlike those that are not saved. We're different than, than those who have not become children of, of the heaven the King. We're different than them in that we have a place in which we can hide. There's no shelter for those that are lost. There's no refuge for those that are unsaved. They're on their own. Now that's not what God wants and certainly he's made a way for all to come but we have the everlasting arms of God in which under which we can rest and under which we can shelter uh, a few years ago shelter in place became a popular phrase that we had never previously heard of but now all of a sudden we're supposed to shelter in place as if in place and inside the doors of our own home the disease would not come but the truth of the matter is there's a place that's better than that and that's underneath the wings of our blessed lord It's underneath the hand of Almighty God. Verse number 8, it says, Come, behold the works of the Lord. What desolations He hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease. Only He can bring peace. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. In verse number 11, it says, The Lord of hosts is with us. There are several times when God speaks about his presence. In verse number, not only do we have his refuge, but we have his presence. In verse number five, it says, God is in the midst of her, the city of God, the tabernacles of the most high. It says, God shall help her. Again, it says in verse number uh, verse number 10, the Lord of hosts is, uh, verse 11, the Lord of hosts is, with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And again, it speaks of it in verse number, uh, the presence of God. He speaks about how God is with us. So hear it. You have the presence of God. You have the fact that he is with us and and you have the fact that God, uh, that God is our refuge. Now listen carefully to what I'm about to say. Verse 10 is the key to this passage. Years ago, I did a calligraphy for my grandmother with this verse on it. And I still have it to this day. And for years, I had it right in the middle of a display of stuff that I had gathered about the events of 9-11. Be still and know that I am God. This is what God wants us to do in the midst of our world going in full-on chaos. Number one, I want you to notice there is a command to eliminate our motion. Would you say that with me? Eliminate our motion. Would you say it together with me again? Eliminate our motion. The command is eliminate your motion. He says, be still. Sometimes our world falls apart because of the loss of a loved one. Sometimes our world falls apart because of the loss of a job. And for some reason, we as men find and wrap our identity all up and in around and and intertwined with our job. Sometimes our world falls apart because of some chaotic event politically or geographically. Sometimes our world falls apart because we lose our health and it doesn't seem to ever recover. What does he say? Eliminate your motion. Now that's counterintuitive. And it's not what we normally do. When the mountains are falling into the midst of the sea and the, the swelling thereof is great and the heathen rage, we run around sometimes frantically like a, like a hamster in a wheel. We say, somebody, do something. I've got to do something. What can I do to fix this? And I want to say this to you. Sometimes there's not a thing in this world you can do. Stop. Be still. God wants to speak to you right now. And he can't speak to you if you're running around frantically. God has something to say to you right now. You need to hear from heaven right now. Be still. This is not easy. This is not the way we normally respond. As parents, we see trouble in our children's life and we move to fix it. As men, we see a problem and we we run to solve it. Because that's what we do. But there are some things that God wants to do in your heart, and he cannot do it if we're running around trying to fix it ourselves. Be still. It's a command to eliminate our emotion, and I want us to notice two aspects. First of all, the be command. You ought to look through the Bible and find how many be commands there are. Not do commands, be commands. Be ye kind one to another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Those are commands from the Bible. There are be commands, not do. I believe that if we'll be right, we will do right. You can do right without being right. We've seen that over and over and over again. Uh, uh, but you cannot be right without doing right. There are a lot of times preachers or Christians have learned how to dress right and look right and speak right and act right and walk right. And then when a calamity comes, they don't know what to do because they haven't learned how to be right. When temptation comes, they don't know what to do and they get bowled over. We've seen this many, many times, not just from preachers and Christians, sometimes from Christian young people that know exactly how to walk the walk and talk the talk. And then when they get out in the real world and the swift currents of the world come to sweep them away and out into the sea of sin, they just go right along with the flow because they've never learned to build and to develop inner strength and character of just being right. But I want you to notice something else with this B command. I want you to notice the importance of admitting to God who you are. Now, this is even deeper than being right. If you and I are going to be what God wants us to be and become what God wants us to become, we're going to have to first admit who we are. He said, Preacher, what do you mean by that? All right, let me go through the Bible and explain. When God came to Isaiah and gave him a heavenly vision in Isaiah 6, he said, Woe is me for, watch it, I am undone. Now he referred to his unclean lips, but he first referred to what he was. When God wrestled with Jacob, he said to Jacob, What is your name? And Jacob said, Jacob, you know what he was saying? I am a liar. I am a deceiver. That's who I am. And that's when God changed him. God didn't change him until he was willing to admit who he was. When Peter Peter, uh, saw the Lord throw a great bunch of fish in his net, he threw a coat around him and came to the Lord Jesus, fell down at his feet and said, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Now you need to admit this in order to be saved. This is the idea of repentance. This is who I am. When you repent, you're not just admitting or confessing some specific sin. You are acknowledging your very nature. This is who I am. I'm guilty. I've sinned. But do you know, in order to, to grow, that's what you have to do. This is who I am. This is who I've become. Sometimes we become things we shouldn't. And in order to become what we should, we have to admit who we are. Watch. He says, be. And then he says, be still. Is, 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 am I the only person that seems to see our world running to and fro and going fast nowhere? Busy about a lot of things. Careful and troubled about many things, Jesus said to Martha. But one thing is needful. Mary hath chosen that good part, which cannot be taken away from her just being still, just reflecting. Be still. There's a command to be still. I remember when I was in college, I was working my way through college at a grocery store at a food line, and I was a bag boy at the time. And uh, I made up my mind that I was going to wait on the the cashier. The cashier wasn't going to wait on me. So she's feeding stuff across the scanner, and I'm putting it in the bag, and I'm getting it ready to go for the customer. And i mean as fast as I could, and, and I'm, I'm going to wait on her. She's not going to wait on me. And all of a sudden, I hear this faint cry and, 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 and word in the background, and I hear, Dwight, be still. She's not waiting on me. Uh-uh. I'm not waiting. I'm waiting on her. I'm, Dwight, be still. And it got louder. And finally, I heard it. Dwight, be still. And it was the, it was the cashier. And you know what was happening? All of my movement was throwing off the reader so the reader couldn't get a good read on the groceries. And you know, when we're so busy and hurried and careful about many things and we fail to stop and be still, we're not going to get a good read on where we're at. Be still. There's a command to eliminate our motion. Number two. There's a command to exercise our mind. Would you say that? Exercise our mind. Would you say it again? Exercise our mind. Look at it. Verse number 10. Be still. Eliminate your motion. And know exercise your mind. Now your mind and heart are often synonymous in the Bible. Certainly, your mind is the is your heart is the reins. That's what that's what is the decision-making apparatus. And ladies and gentlemen, there is a command in this passage to be still and know. That means stop and think. Thinking is not a waste of time. By the way, neither is waiting on God. And when your world has completely gone into a full on spiral, that's not a time for you to run to and fro with anxiety at its peak. That's a time for you to stop. Be still and know, No, eliminate your motion. Now exercise your mind. That means think. There's some things that God wants you to think about that you can't if you're running around. There's some things that God wants you to see that you can't if you're running here and there. Be still, eliminate your motion, and know, exercise your mind. God wants us to know a lot of things. The Bible says that Paul said that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death. He, he said that. But you know what? He said that in the context of uh, in the context of saying, look, I, I I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. So we're not eliminating human responsibility. We're simply stopping and thinking. He says that I may know him. That was his desire. That was his pressing toward the mark. The mark is knowing him, knowing him deeper, knowing him fuller. And the scripture said that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. Who here doesn't? want resurrection power. Every Christian I know wants resurrection power. Every preacher I know wants resurrection power. More power to witness and more power to preach and more power to accomplish what God wants them to accomplish and power to be the, what God wants them to be. Every Christian that I know that is genuine in their faith and growing in their faith wants more power. But this is not just resurrection power. You know what it is? It's knowing the Lord in His all of his fullness and everything. It's, it's crucifixion power that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. In order for me to have a resurrection, there has to be a crucifixion. Anybody want to get in line for resurrection power? Oh, I do. Anybody want to get in line for crucifixion? No. Suffering. But I've concluded this. I can't really know the Lord, and hear me, minister to others until I suffer. Now, that's not pleasant. Nobody here wants that. We talked about that the other day when we talked about the painful component. Watch here. There's a need to be still. He wants us to know him. He says in 2 Peter chapter 3, in verse number 18, he says, Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, we grow in knowledge in other areas. We grow in knowledge of, uh, uh, of our work. We grow in knowledge of a social media app. We grow in knowledge of, uh, of uh, just raising kids at different stages. Why, why not grow in knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? If I were to ask you certain questions about Jesus, you'd probably be able to tell me that he was virgin born. You'd probably tell me where he was born. You could probably tell me a little bit about his life. You could tell me about some of the miracles that he did. You could probably tell me the fact that he died and was buried and rose again. You could tell me about how he ascended and that he's coming back. And you could tell me a little bit about that. But let me ask you, are you satisfied with what you know about Jesus? Is what you know about Jesus good enough? Just all the facts that you have learned up to this point? By the way, we're not just talking about fat knowledge. We're talking about heart knowledge. We're talking about growing experientially in your walk with him. It says that Abraham was a friend of God. That means he had a relationship that was heavenward and that was heavenly. So be still and know that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, in the fellowship of his suffering. So here in Psalm 46 and verse 10, he gives us a command right in the middle of the world falling apart and the mountains crumbling and the sea raging and, and the heathen raging. Verse number 10, be still and know, here's the third command, that I am God. It is a command to emphasize His majesty. Emphasize His majesty. Would you say that, please? Emphasize His majesty. Would you say it again? Emphasize His majesty. Watch. There's a command to eliminate our motion. Be still and know... It's a command to exercise our mind, to consider his greatness, and to learn his attributes. You know, I'll tell you, if you'll study his names and the different meanings that his names have, those will carry you through some deep waters in life. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord Our peace. Jehovah Tzidkanu, the Lord, our righteousness. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord. Who provides all through the Bible? You find names that reference His characteristics: Elohim, the self-existing One; El Elyon, the God who fights for me; and Jehovah Sabbath, the Lord our the Lord our our captain and 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 fighter and warrior, uh, the our banner, the Lord our banner. All throughout the Bible, you find different names. Those names will help you fight against the devil. Because I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. When your world falls apart, several things will happen. And one of those several things is the devil will show up with his business card offering his counseling services. And he'll come back day after day after day. He's a very persistent salesman and he has some things he wants to teach you about God. He has some things that he wants to tell you about God. He wants to tell you that this is God's fault. He has some things he wants to teach you about you when you're going through difficulties. He wants you to think it's your fault or that it's somebody's fault. He wants you to think that you could have done this or you could have done that or you should have or you would have. And if only and all that is just a black hole from which there is no recovery. You don't listen to him. You better walk whole wholeheartedly with the Lord. You better be still and stop what you're doing. You better open the Bible and sit at the feet of Jesus and learn and grow in your knowledge of God. And sometimes you have, and many times you have to grow when tears coursing down your cheeks. Many times you have more questions than you do have answers in times like that. And I want to just say this right now. God is not afraid of your questions. God doesn't see you coming and say, Oh boy, here we go again. (laughs) They come, here they come with all their questions. Uh, the last time they asked a question, I couldn't answer. And I didn't know what to do. I'll just act like I'm on my phone. <laughs> no, God doesn't do that. God's not intimidated at all by your questions. And by the way, I don't think he's really troubled that you ask them. When Jesus hung between heaven and earth, he asked a question. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachtari, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? When you come to God with your questions, Know that God loves to lift you up in his arms and dry your tears and love you through the midst of your trouble. Oh, notice what he says. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Let the heathen rage. Let the kingdoms of the earth imagine a vain thing. But you know what we're going to do? We're going to kiss the sun. You know what we're going to do? We're going to walk with God. You know what we're going to do? We're going to hold to his nail pierced hand. You know what we're going to do? We're going to be still and know that he's God. He will be exalted among the heathen. And he will be exalted in the earth. God is not going to play second fiddle to anybody. He's going to get glory one way or the other. And so I have a choice in the midst of my difficulty to lean hard upon him, to come closely underneath his everlasting arms and under the shelter of his wings. I have a choice to be still and know that he is God or just go pele melee throughout my busy, chaotic life, thinking that I can solve my problems and coming to the end of myself, figuring out that I can't. What is he saying to you tonight? Someone that may be listening to the sound of my voice whose world has fallen apart in recent weeks or months or even e- even longer. Be still. Eliminate your motion. And know, exercise your mind that I am God. Emphasize His majesty. I want you to think of three Bible examples. Joseph's life had, and world had fallen apart when he was sold into slavery When he was sold into slavery and he was put in a position of leadership in Potiphar's house, then seduced by Potiphar's wife. And when he did what was right, he got accused of rape, thrown in jail. I'd say that his world had fallen apart. But you know what? Joseph never lost sight of the goodness of God. And somewhere in the midst of all of that mess... He figured out that God would be exalted among the heathen and God would be exalted in the earth, and he never lost sight of the goodness of God. And don't you know that God brought him out, made him second in command in Pharaoh's court and in that nation of Egypt, so that he could rescue selflessly, rescue two nations and the world the way for the Messiah. Think of that. Think of that. Joseph's world had fallen apart. Are you ready? Fell apart, lost all of his family in one day except his wife. And the next tragedy that came running his way was a tragedy of epic proportions, and now he loses all of his health. And then his friends gathered around him, and they were pretty good friends for about eight or nine days until they opened their mouth <laughs> and presented him with all their theological conclusions many of which were mixed up and confused. And he had to wade wade through all of that. And yet Job, in all this, sin not nor charge God foolishly. Even in the end when he he asked for an audience with God and God humbled him in a place of humility. Job, Job said, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. That was not until Job 42. I don't know if anybody's done the math and tried to figure out how many days it was from the moment he buried his children all the way until Job 42. But it's at least, it's at least 41 chapters. And when he said, Now mine eye seeth thee, wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. You know what God said? The God of heaven gave him multiplied much, 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 much more than what he had in the first place. And God rebuked his friends. Watch this. Paul's world fall, fell apart when in the midst of serving God and walking with God and preaching the gospel and planning churches, what happens? He has a thorn in the flesh. I believe it was something wrong with his eyes. And he went to the Lord three times and said, Lord, would you take this away? And the Lord said, no. I said, Lord, would you take it away? And the Lord said, no. He said, Lord, please, would you take it away? I think he probably said something like this. I could serve you a whole lot better if I didn't have this. I could see a lot more clearly if I didn't have this. The Lord said, no, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And you know how we know Paul responded like Psalm 46.10 commands? Because he said immediately... Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in mine infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Lord, help us to respond like Joseph. Help us to respond like Job and like Paul and a myriad of other Bible characters so that when the world rages and when the mountains fall and when the earth moves and when the swelling of the the seas can. It commences, we're going to be still and know that He is God. Would you bow with me in prayer? I wonder if tonight someone would say, Brother Smith, my, my world in recent days has crumbled. Teutonic plates have shifted and there's been great earthquake and trouble in my life. And I need to respond the way the Lord expects in Psalm forty six ten. Would you pray for me that I would? If that's you, would you slip up your hand? Is there anybody here like that? God bless you. Anyone else? So, preacher, pray for me. Anyone else? Preacher, pray for me. Lately my world has begun to crumble, and I've not been responding the way I ought. Pray that I would. Anyone else? Question number two, how many of you would say, Brother Smith, there's someone I know that's struggling. Would you pray with me for them? If that's you, would you slip up your hand? Okay, okay, okay. Well, now is our opportunity to minister to them and not give up on them and not even get angry when they ask questions and just love them and listen and point them to the Lord. Lord, help us, I pray, to be what you want us to be when our world crumbles Lord, I pray that these who've acknowledged their need would take their struggles and their crumbling world and their broken pieces to You and let You heal them. Lord, help us to know that grief sometimes takes a while. It's not something we can just get over. That You want us to, to learn some lessons and to grow in certain ways through it. I pray for these who raise their hand for friends or family. Help them, I pray. I pray. Lord, minister to us. Help us, Lord, to take these truths if we're not going through a a chaotic moment and help us to tuck them away and use it as a greasy monkey wrench sometime down the road. I pray in Jesus' name that you'd help us. Amen.